You're listening to a podcast by Oak Magazine. I would like to acknowledge the Dja Wurrung people as the traditional owners of the land on which this episode was recorded. I pay my respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures. Welcome to A Friend of Mine, a series of conversations with some incredible and inspiring women in business from regional and rural Australia. I'm Kimberly Finesse your host and the founder and editor of Oak Magazine. And I cannot wait to introduce you to some amazing female entrepreneurs who will share with you their experience and knowledge of what it takes to start, grow and scale a successful business. So let me introduce you to a friend of mine. The Bendigo Cup is possibly the most iconic event on the Bendigo social calendar. I grew up not far from the Bendigo Jockey Club, On a clear day, you could hear the call of a race. And like many local school kids, I've run around the racetrack as part of cross country, a tradition that I also share with my kids. As an adult, I've dressed up and enjoyed a public holiday at the races with friends many a times. This year, I have the honor of being ambassador of the APM Bendigo Cup. It's given me a behind the scenes look at the races and the opportunity to meet some of the incredible women in the industry. I recently sat down with local trainer, Jess Gleason, Bendigo Jockey Club commercial manager Sue Opie and former jockey and now clerk of scales Courtney Pace. Jess moved from Ireland to Australia and speaks about the difference between the two countries, how she managed her pregnancy while being a trainer and what she really wanted to be when she grew up. Sue gives us an insight into her early career as a businesswoman in Greece as the owner of a bar, nightclub, internet cafe and the skills needed for successful partnerships. And Courtney shares her passion for the racing industry, which she became involved in at 14 years of age, and what it takes to be a female jockey. Meet my friends, Jess, Sue and Courtney. Hello, Jess. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. And we've met before in person. Uh, I will say I probably only understood a couple of words that you were saying, and I think uh, our listeners will understand in a minute why I say that. But yeah, it's great to have you, uh, especially in the lead up to the Bendigo APM Cup. Yeah, it's very exciting, isn't it? I can't wait to go to the races on the day. Yeah, so let's hope the weather holds out. So far, the sun is shining. Tell me a little bit about yourself. You're not from Australia. Nope, I'm not. (laughs) I'm originally from Ireland. I came to Australia in 2012, so I've been out here a while. People tell me I still haven't lost my accent. I don't know. You haven't. (laughs) I think it depends who I talk to, maybe. Um, Yeah, 2012 and never looked back. Never looked back. Uh, What brought you to Australia? Oh, that's a bit of a funny story. Um, I used to, well, I obviously worked in racing my whole life, um, but I used to, on my lunch break every day, go home and watch Home and Away. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Yeah. So I just fell in love with the whole summer bay and the beach and everything. And I thought I'd come out to Australia and find a Brax. (laughs) And, yeah, I got a big shock. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you've ended up in Bendigo. Yeah, nothing, we, nothing like Summer Bay. <laughs> there's no beach. Um, no. Going back a few steps, though, so back to Ireland growing up, tell me what that was like. Very cold. Hard place to work with horses weather-wise because like, it was, you know, you get wind, rain, snow, all combinations in one day. And uh, that's why I left because I, I just I got so cold and I was always sick. Summers are great in that, but I was always sick every winter and, you know, the flu, laryngitis, everything like that. And um, 
came to Australia and hardly ever get sick. Wow. Anyway, daycare. Yeah. yeah it gets me, but yeah, that's about it. Wow. The weather doesn't. No. Um, it, have you always loved horses? Like, how have yeah. you got into the industry? Yeah, well, I started um, riding school when I think I ever sat my first horse when, when I was a baby. It was just put on and led around um, on ponies and things like that. And then once I became five, which is the age in Ireland, you're allowed to actually have um, lessons. So I started at five, riding lessons, and never stopped. Um, it went from, you know, little Shetland ponies to to ponies, to eventually onto horses, yeah, but a pony club, show jump, venting, all of that, did it all, and then um, got stuck into the racing when I was 14, so I was still at school. Wow, yeah. 14. Yeah, yeah, I just used to do it on weekends. Yep, and um, riding big race horses, races yeah. with, yeah, like, yeah. grown men and, yeah, wow. Yeah, I was 14, and I actually reckon I remember, my first ever racehorse I sat on, I used to work for Willie Mullins, um, a lot of racing people would probably know who he is. Um, and the first ever horse I sat on was Davenport Millennium and Arctic Spectacle. They were my two horses and they were they were really good. They were good to me. They were just old um, old jumpers. Um, yeah, but I'll never forget those two. Yeah, can you remember your first win? On training? Yeah. Alvin Purple. He was he was a good horse. Um, I, think, I think I paid 15, maybe 1,200 for him yeah. and he won four. Yeah. And I owned him. So it was, it was really good. <laughs> <laughs> a good day at the uh, the office. Yeah, 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 yeah. So were your family into racing? Mm, well, yes and no. Not not so much the racing side, but um, my granddad used to run a stud back in Ireland. And dad grew up on the on the stud. Um, had nothing to do with horses, though. I think dad one day tried to get on a, on a pony or something. Climbed, his old story is he climbed the wall to get on the back of it and it shot out from underneath him as he went to sit on it. So, so he never he never went back to them again. But um no my mum did. She she used to it was more ponies and like eventing more more so than racing. I was probably the one that started um riding the racehorses and got into the industry. What did your parents think of that? Were they worried at any point, you know, being 14 and on these no. like they're huge the racehorses yeah. when you stand next to yeah. them. Um no. Oh, not really. They weren't. Well, they never told me because I, I I got paid. Like it was only weekend work and that. And um, but then I used to go there every summer holidays and Easter holidays, anything. I suppose because I'd grown up around them and they didn't really know much about racehorses. Dad didn't really even get involved in the ponies. Like he was more into other sports, you know, with us as kids and that. My brother, he didn't even have anything to do with them. It was all me. Yeah. Yeah. And. Are they still back in Ireland? Yes, yes, they're yeah. all back in Ireland, yeah. Do they watch your journey from, you know, online? Oh, or? They, they try to. I've tried setting up Labrooks and that for Dad to, to watch the replays. But um, I think the only time he'd probably get to watch them if he was in a lock-in in a pub. <laughs> Live, at least. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> with the time difference. Yeah. yeah. Um. So being 14, a girl, you know, in probably what many would describe as a male-dominated industry, yeah. how did you find that? Yeah, well, back in Ireland, it was it was like a lot of the boys were jockeys. There were girls that were um, jockeys, and and there's heaps more now than when I was back there. But it was you know more so kind of a sister of of a jockey, or, you know, a male jockey, that kind of thing, or their dad or something like that. It wasn't like any Joe Soap like me that didn't have any background. I did want to, I tried to, but as in be a jockey. But um, my boss said to me, "Oh, make sure you finish school." You know, you need to have your your education behind you. 
so I did that and then um, they had a school in Ireland for like an apprentice school and you'd go and you'd like you'd live there but you do your your maths and English and all that as well as your race learning or whatever but I'd already gone past all those steps like a lot of the kids that were going to that were kids that didn't never even sat on a horse so it would have been a waste of time and then I probably lost not lost the interest but I didn't have the drive then behind me to continue it and always thought you know you're you're never going to be good enough or you're not good enough you know when it was all the lads doing it you know and that's probably... I, I still kick myself this day. Do you really? Yeah, for never actually giving it a crack. And then I I tried to have a crack in Australia, but it was in Western Australia where I was living at the time. And they... Um, because I was on a sponsorship, I was sponsored to um, my employers, and it was under a different category. And they said I needed to be a, like a citizen to be able to do an apprenticeship. So then it was another kick back then. And I was like, oh, well, I was already, I think, 20... Four, twenty-five, and I was like, I'm not gonna be twenty-seven and start a four-year apprenticeship, you know, with with the little pay and all. What that. would be involved in becoming a jockey? Oh, well, you got to be light. Yeah. You got to like getting up early and fit. I suppose you got to be really fit. You got to, you do have to have a good drive. Yeah. It's not an easy job, mm. like to get on there, and you got to be really fit. Like I, I wouldn't even be able to push out a horse. Yeah. I'm not fit, I suppose. That's probably why. <laughs> Was there anything else that you wanted to be when you grew up then, if it wasn't... Yeah, I did. I had a I had a choice. I had two main things. I always wanted to be a vet or I wanted to be um, a physiotherapist. This was when I was still in school and I never got enough points to do either either because Ireland works on, when you finish school, like your year 12 here, you, you get allocated points to get into certain Courses, universities yeah. and things like that, yeah. And yeah, you had to have like all honours to do veterinary. I presume something like that here. Yeah, it's pretty high yeah. score to get in. Yeah, yeah. and um, yeah, I was nowhere near it. I passed, but <laughs> I was nowhere near it. So I went the back road and I did like a animal care and veterinary assistant course for a year. And I actually got into both the physiotherapy one and the uh, animal, but I chose to stay with the animal. So I did that for a year and then um, I continued to work the whole time. And then, you know yourself, once you start earning a wage, well, I kind of just kept working and then I was like oh I'm just going to move to Australia better weather and that's what I did so I never I never got to do either so how did you come to Bendigo of all places um so I have a a good friend um involved in well he he runs the ATA um, Australian Trainers Association and I'd said to him um, a couple of years ago about moving out of the Northern Territory the weather was just way too hot for me up there. Um, and um, he listed off a couple of places uh, of where to go. And I came down, had a look and checked out a couple of places. And, well, this was probably... Because I said to him I wanted to be able to still ride to the track if I could. And he said, oh, well, Bendigo's one of the places. And I knew one of the other trainers um, who trains here locally as well. So that's how it just kind of worked out. And I got stables off him and that's it. The rest is history. history. <laughs> so tell me, what does a day look like for a trainer? Uh, early mornings, very dark. <laughs> um, yeah, it's pretty pretty busy because you've only got so much time. You know, track opens at five and closes. I think you you got to be on your last horse by nine fifteen, um, and then out the gates by nine thirty. So you've only got a short time. I have to at the moment do two two loads, like with the truck, um, over and back. So it's pretty pretty busy. What does life look like outside of the horses? Like, what else do you do? Is there any things that you're interested in, any passions? I don't get much time off. Like, 
unless I go on a holiday, you completely relax, but you don't at the same time because you're always on the phone, like checking everything's okay with the horses. But I used to, as a, younger as a kid, and I have sports and stuff I used to do, but you don't get time. Yeah. Not nowadays. No, no, I'm trying to think. Because even my son, like I haven't, he's only three, so I haven't got to the stage yet where I've got to go to footy or cricket or any of those things, you know? Yeah. How um, did you manage work as a trainer being pregnant? I, yeah, it's pretty hard. I, I rode till I was, I think I was 16, 17 weeks. And um, I pulled the pin then because one horse um, stumbled and like kind of threw me forward a bit. And I was like, no, that's enough now. I won't kind of risk it anymore. And then I just did all the groundwork. But I, I stayed going the whole time. I was in labor and I was still picking up horse manure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bending over the fence, like, you know, with your contractions. And uh, yeah, I kept going. Just getting it done. Yeah. Because the minute I stopped riding, it's like my body went, oh, you know, like, oh, okay, you know, we're going to do this now. Yeah. And everything went wrong. Oh. Yeah. The, the body just gave way. The muscles just let go. And I started, I suppose, you know, you stretch or whatever happens, yeah. your, your hips come out. And it just, it went to a shambles. The whole body. I couldn't walk. I got back pain. It was terrible. After that, yeah. late, uh, pregnancy for me was awful. Until then, I was fine. You know, I never even got morning sickness. I was, it was pretty good. Good. Um, how did you transition back into the industry then? Uh, well, because I had a cesarean, so I was bang on whatever the date was. I was allowed back yep. riding. And, yeah, it was, it was a big change because I used to be pretty confident and strong and I could ride anything or hold anything. And, um, yeah, and then after you have a kid, it, it all goes. Yeah. <laughs> Do you reckon there's something in the back of your mind? Always. Yeah. I say to the boys, like, in the morning, in the hut, like, you know, if event happens, you know, make sure this, this, and this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If I fall off, make sure you ring this person and that person, you know, just in case. Or, yeah. You know, it's, it's always in your head. And, and I'll try and be picky, like, with what I ride. But sometimes you don't have a choice. Um, A lot of the time you don't have a choice nowadays. But, yeah, I, I, I'm not as confident as I used to be. Like if one starts getting a bit naughty, I'll give it a couple of goes, a couple of days, and then if there's a limit, then I'll just be like, oh, no, nah, one of the boys can ride it. Yeah. yeah. It's sad. It's for me, it is anyway, because mm. I never used to be like that. Mm. Yeah. I suppose it happens to everyone that has kids in, in their own way. There's certain things you wouldn't do anymore that you used to do. Yeah. I still do everything else, but um, the riding side of it, yeah, if they're a little bit frisky... Yeah, I probably won't ride them. Or I'll get led in or I'll try and do something like that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just, uh, before we hit record, I sort of asked you, like, what is the industry like for, for women? Mm. Uh, and you said it was slightly different between Ireland yeah. and Australia. Yeah. Which I couldn't believe. Yeah. Well, when I left Ireland, like, it's all different now. But back when I was there, yeah, it was a lot of the guys being the jockey, I suppose. Um, there was girls in the industry, but a lot of the boys were all jockeys. Um, there was a few, like I said earlier, but um, when I came to Australia, I was mind blown by the amount of um, apprentices that were girls. And I suppose like it makes sense because we're like naturally lighter anyway. And yeah, I couldn't believe it how much um, or how much more there were girls out there trying to be jockeys. I'm sure there was back in Ireland while I left. Maybe that was the same time it all changed. I don't know. I don't know what it was like before I was here, but yeah, it did blow me away. And that's what made me think like, oh, maybe I could you know, try in Australia. And I went and I, because I had to obviously lose weight and I had a PT 
and a special diet to be on and everything. And I think that I got down to, I was never overly heavy, but to be a jockey, like you have to be, well, I think to be an apprentice, I think you got to be at least 52 or 54, something like that for them. I don't know, to even look at you, which would be pretty light. And because I was, I think I was about 57, 58, like comfortably eating Chinese, whatever I wanted. <laughs> so I got down to 56 and I was fit. Like that was fit for me. And um, it was a pretty strict diet. And then to be told, you can't, you know. I was like, oh, back to eating. <laughs> Crap. <laughs> um, thank you, Jess, for being a guest on the podcast. Uh, well, thank you for, for making me. me feel so comfortable around <laughs> the horses uh, on our photo shoot day. I really appreciate it. No, thank you. Thanks for having me. It was great fun. Hello, Sue. It is so good to have you on the podcast. Hello, Kimberly. Thank you so much for having me and so nice to be here. We have known each other for a little while now. We have. Yeah. Way back in the Bendigo advertiser days, you were in sales. Uh, I was upstairs in the newsroom and uh, I always say to people, I wish if I could go back to that time that I understood a little bit more about what the sales team did because it's such an integral part of having a magazine. Totally, totally. And what makes me laugh, you know, like getting to know you now is in those days the sales team were down downstairs and the editorial team were upstairs and we just did not interact. We were just totally different types of people. Yes. And it's interesting, and I was actually thinking about it the other day, it's interesting how um, even then in those days in the newspaper – I would always be trying to push for more um, lifestyle-type stories, going towards females because I had a lot of female clients, you know, like clothes stores and different things, and that's what they wanted. It's also stuff then which I'd read. And it's interesting now how it's all changed because the editorial in those days really pushed back against it. They did. So maybe you were onto something. You had seen that trend way before it started. Maybe I was. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I missed my calling. Oh, but the funny thing is when we've met through the APM Bendigo Cup being ambassador, um, you know, I've had opportunities just to chat with you and get to know a little bit about your background. I didn't realise that you're a business owner yourself. Yes. That was in my younger days. Um Yes, um, I was living in Greece and I ended up owning a club, well, a disco sort of club thing, cocktail bar, internet cafe, all it's the way the complex grew with it. Um, and I probably did that. I was overseas for about 17 years and I ran that business, I think, for 12. Wow. Mm. When are we talking? What year? Uh, I left Australia in 1980. 84 and came back in 2001. My gosh, it's a long time ago. But then when you mention internet cafe, I'm not sure a lot of our listeners would even know what an internet cafe is, but even I still remember, you know, sometimes you'd go to a town and you'd go somewhere and they'd have all the computers with the dial up and you'd pay your dollar for, gosh, maybe 10 minutes, 15 minutes. And you'd brought that to this little disco bar slash internet cafe yeah. <laughs> like a mingle of stuff yeah we were approached by someone there and of course the internet was just beginning mm. and they were sort of saying you know everyone's going to be wanting internet cafes we were the first internet cafe on the island they showed me a computer showed it how showed me how it worked and I thought hey this is a real innovative idea let's have a go 
little did I know how frustrated I would be because um, we all know Windows yeah. on our computer and which tells us when it's something goes wrong or where to go within the computer. Um, Windows was in Greek. Oh. <laughs> now, my Greek was quite good then, however, and I could read Greek, but technical terms, I did not have any idea. So I can't believe that I didn't pick up one of those um, monitors and throw them through the windows. Like it, <laughs> it was really frustrating. People would come in and I think I had that summer, I had a staff of, there was about 12 of us working there, but I was the only one who could read Greek. So whenever anything went wrong in the internet cafe, they'd come and find me, Sue, can you sort this out? Can you sort this out? So it was really frustrating, but then come the winters, what I did was for all the local expats and a lot of the Greeks who were all intrigued about the internet and what they could do, I used to run um, internet lessons. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And you've come to a social media workshop as well. We've met like... Correct, because I never kept teacher. up. No, <laughs> I never kept up with it. But, um, yeah, it was that wow. was so much fun. Yeah. Like just um, setting people up with an email address, you know, there were chat rooms and there were different... MSN and... Yeah, yep. that sort of basic stuff. But um, just Google, like, that just opened up their, li- their eyes and lives and everything. And now we we depend on it so much. Do you miss being a business owner? Do you think you would ever go back to that life of, of having a business and running it? No. No. No, I could, and I do sometimes think about it, but uh, just, yeah... Look, probably the stress, you know, where I was working, it was um, basically you had to make your money in six months in the season and and then at the end of the season that was it, game over. So it was pretty tough um, and it was pretty tough in a foreign country. Um, so I don't miss that. Um, yeah, no, I – yeah. I don't. It's weird. I don't miss that. I think when I came back home to Australia, I thought, no, I don't want to be in business anymore. Yep, that chapter's closed. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me, you've come back to Australia. How have you ended up here at the Bendigo Jockey Club? Yeah, it's bizarre, isn't it? When I came back to Australia, I took a job at the Bendigo Advertiser where I met you, Kimberly, and I was probably there for 14, 15 years. And in when I left, I had a little dabble in real estate, but I was I knew there was a job going at the Jockey Club, and I'd been interested in it, but they couldn't get the hours, they couldn't get the money right, and um, then two years later, uh, the vacancy came up again, and they came back to me, and it all sort of slotted in. And I've always loved racing. I I love coming to the races. I had horses when I was a kid too. Don't have much to do with them now, but I do love coming. I love the fashion. I love um, the horses. It's just such a, um, yeah, you've got all bits and pieces for it. So I was excited to come out here and just give a probably similar career because I'm still in sales, but a different industry, you know, I go. And I'm so happy I did. And it's a nice place to work as well. I mean, you know, we met up at the community race day and you took us out on the track and had just mentioned that, you know, when the grass isn't as long and there aren't as many slithery things 
potentially around. <laughs> that you know, it's a really nice walk. It's it's lovely yeah. to be surrounded by nature. Really. Totally, totally. And I get that feeling every morning when I drive in through the long drive and you see the horses leaving track work. Um, I empathise with the trainers because they've probably been up for four hours before I get here. And generally, I try to walk the track every day. Uh, It usually takes me about 35 minutes and it's just a really nice walk. So we're coming into Spring Racing Carnival. Uh, we're definitely coming up to the big days, which is the APM Bendigo Cup. We've obviously got Melbourne Cup. And I suppose that's the, the thing that's a little bit different about Bendigo, isn't it? We have our own Cup Day. Correct, correct. There are quite a few country cups around Victoria, which I think is a really nice thing. Yeah, we have our own Cup Day and we have a public holiday for it, which I think is special. And, um, yeah, it's something which I can remember growing up. You always look forward to the Bendigo Cup and hopefully the younger kids coming up get that same feeling. I think it's part of being part of being Bendigonian. Yeah, it is. You've got to take a bit of ownership of the Cup. Yeah. I remember even working in Melbourne there for a few years and I would still take Bendigo Cup. So I'd switch it out from Melbourne Cup, which everyone else would take. And yeah, I'd take Bendigo just to come home and and see all your friends. And if you're year 12, you usually have an exam on that day as well. Correct. Correct. (laughs) I know. That's always unfortunate. The year 12s generally miss out, but they can catch up the years before and the years after. And And it was the same for me when I was younger. It was like Bendigo Cup Day you come back and you'd see everyone here. It was a real, the social event of the year. Yeah. So what's work like for you in this period of, you know, you've got community race day, beach day and the big one on Wednesday the 1st of November. What does your workload look like at that time? It's pretty hectic. It's really all about being organised. Bendigo Cup Beach Party, I started planning for them um, straight after Christmas last year. Um, putting together the brochure, coming up with a marketing plan. And so at the moment, it's a culmination of everything and just making sure I've got all the boxes ticked. Um, basically now, and this week is in particular, my phone's just started ringing continuously. Um, and it's just people checking in on their bookings, checking in everything's okay, Uh I order all the infrastructure for the marquees and so like if your tables and chairs aren't in the marquee you ordered, well that's my fault. Um, (laughs) So that's always a big thing and this morning I spent an hour going through the order for Bendigo Carp and basically counting white plastic chairs, making sure we've only got a certain amount so we have to order them in and making sure they're allocated even down to a little umbrella which has got 10 chairs around it. So it's pretty hectic. Um, I have got a lot of sponsors who I look after and they're an integral part to the Bendigo Jockey Club. So I'm just about to start moving on producing race book pages, making sure the big screen's all set up and making sure they're looked after because um, sponsoring us, we've got to make sure that they can see the value in it. Mm. Is that where that sales experience from, say, the Benigo advertiser comes in? Have you made relationships back then in those 14 years that have carried over to your role? Yeah. Look, I think in Bendigo, um, we're not metro yet. I think with sales sort of role within Bendigo, relationship building is a good thing because people like to trust someone. 
And I think if you burn bridges, you lose that trust. So, yeah, I think it's a great thing about Bendigo. It's why I enjoy living in Bendigo and why all those years ago I didn't move down to Melbourne. Yeah, stayed here. Uh, in terms of customer service, that's a, a huge part of your role too, is it? Just to, you know, make that person feel like they are the one and only client that you have. Yeah, and that becomes hard Doesn't when it? you've got so many people here, Bendigo Cup. So you sort of feel Bendigo Cup Day and Beach Party Race Day, you sort of feel like you need to chop yourself into 100 pieces. But, yeah, you just walk that little tightrope and try and make everyone feel special and um, enjoy the day and have a great day. I checked the temperature today. I think it's going to be 22 degrees, so fingers crossed. I was going to say, how often are you checking that weather out from that big one? Three months every morning. (laughs) First thing I do when I wake up, especially after last year, when the rain – well, it wasn't raining on the day, but the um, actual – rain we'd had prior meant that we had to move all the marquees and it really was a muddy mess. Mm. Would that be the most challenging race day you've had? Totally. Um, I think uh, Bendigo Cup last year when we got a call from, I got a call from someone saying one of the marquees was sinking. That was like, uh, what are we going to do? And fortunately, one of the guys from No Fuss, he went, Sue, let me have a look at it. And I think he emptied, he dug a hole and he emptied out a couple of wheelie bins of water. And I think he had 50 buckets. And then he built a deck over the top of it to keep it upright. So we were doing everything we could just to keep that day together. Yeah. Tell me, what do you love about Bendigo Cup Day? What's the best part of it? If you had to take your role out of it and worrying about, you know, whether everyone's got how many white chairs they need and whether the umbrellas, you know, are, are working and going up, what what's the best part? I used to go, I came to Bendigo Cup for many years when I was at the advertiser because we'd always have a marquee for our clients. And, you know, I often think back to when you're working here, it's a different experience to when you're coming. And I often think back to what it was like for me coming to the Bendigo Cup then and to try and remember it to make sure that these things are happening for people who are arriving every year. So um, I always remember when I'd turn up at the turnstiles and you'd see people all in their finery looking a million dollars And that just gave me a real fluttery feeling in my stomach because it's just fantastic. People made the effort and are all here for the same reason, just to have a good time. Well, I want to just say thank you for inviting me to be ambassador for the APM Bendigo Cup. Uh, It's it's humbling. I think you'd sent the email. I almost wrote back, you sure you got the right person? Um. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much too, Kimberly. Like... We had a discussion between a lot of us here and we couldn't think of a better person like your achievements and what you've done for rural women in business and in Oak Magazine have just been outstanding. So um, congratulations. And we really hope that you enjoy Beach Party and Bendigo Cup and come away with a great feeling from it. Yeah, I think I will. Uh, Even just being able to introduce my kids at Community Race Day, you know, that was the first that they'd ever been to the races. And 
you know, one of them loved it. You know, he loved even just the uh, steaming his shirt and getting all the shirts ready for the day and, and putting his outfit together. So, you know, even he's like, okay, so what other ones can I go to and, and dress up? Um, yeah, it's interesting to watch. That's that's awesome. So we've got another race goer coming through the ranks. Yep, absolutely. And, and just even that behind the scenes look at everything, I just so appreciate. I know that not everyone gets you know, that experience to be behind the barriers, watch those horses go in and and then to be up in the call box with Rick McIntosh, I mean, that was just a lesson in, in how to call a race. He's yeah. just such an expert and to watch how he goes through that process. So what was your favourite experience out of those two? I would say the call box yep. and maybe that's stepping into the podcasting and yep. think, okay, how does he prepare? How is he getting himself ready? And, and just being able to watch, I suppose, a master at work. You know, those yeah. horse names are so difficult. I've always wondered how they remember it. They don't roll off the tongue, do they? No. <laughs> um, and I don't know if I'm, I'm letting out any of his secrets, but, you know, we stand in there so very quietly uh, and he just says those names over and over again and obviously is looking down when they're in the mounting yard and, and just naming them. And then it, it just flows when they come out of those barriers. And apparently when the race finishes, he has to empty them out of his head to start the next one, which I think that would have to be such an art. It would be, yeah. <laughs> like how many times do you think, oh, I've just got to empty a few filing cabinets in my brain. But he does it on a continual basis, yeah. yeah. And obviously has a lot of words to describe a race and where mm. they're sitting. Uh, but, yeah, even just to watch them come around, I just think, my gosh, you're live. I wonder if it's ever gone wrong <laughs> and how you manage that. <laughs> I think with racing um, and what I've found since coming to the racing industry, I n never had any idea how many people were involved. And people come to the races and... They might be sitting in silk styling or up in the CJ Watson room and they sort of just think it's the trainers, the strappers, people behind the bar and the people on the front gates. But, you know, there are people out there working on the barrier gates, there are stewards, there are people working on the horse gates, uh, there are people picking up the horse manure. Um, as you saw, I think when we left the barriers, um, you asked what the three people were on the track. Well, they were stamping, stomping in the divots. Like there really are a lot of people who just rock up on race day, know their job and get on with it. Mm. It's just such a big thing to pull together. And um, I think we're really lucky to be here in Bendigo and have such a quality race day. Yeah, and I think too um, we're lucky to have such a quality race course, you know, and a lot of people think um, the Bendigo Jockey Club is just the Bendigo Cup, but it's not. We have 23 race meetings a year and um, there are some great days out here during the year and plenty of opportunities to visit. Well, thank you again, Sue, and, yeah, look forward to seeing you on the day and, and what each other are wearing. <laughs> correct, correct. <laughs> have you sorted out your outfit? I haven't yet, No. I I'm a last-minute person, though. Oh, I can't. I, I completely swapped mine and changed it on the weekend, So, but I'm done. You're done. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh, the pressure's on. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Hello, Courtney, and welcome to the podcast. Great. Thanks for having me. We're here on a beautiful day in the podcast van. We couldn't meet on track, but that's what I love about the podcast van is that it is so versatile. So we get to sit in here on some comfy couches and look out on the most beautiful day with, you know, bright skies, warm sun and 
get to have a good chat and, you know, obviously you've got a day off the track. I do. It actually is a beautiful day here in Bendigo. So spring is really in the air and um, bring on some good racing. Sounds good. So tell me a little bit about how you got into the racing industry. Well, my dad's a horse trainer actually in Bendigo. So I was brought up in the industry and um, always loved racing and it was a real passion of mine and I was lucky enough to to start riding track works probably when a lot of kids my age were still at school. So I remember the day I turned 14, I was uh, ready to go to the track that next morning to, to ride track work. But before that, I always rode a pony at home and um, always went around with the racehorses, but I wasn't allowed to, to ride track work well, you're not allowed to ride at the race course till you're registered. So 14 came along and um, away I went. Oh my gosh. I just think 14, that it just seems so young. And when I think about how big those horses are as well, was there any fear in you at all? More frustration, I think, because 14-year-old kids, sorry, um, you're not the strongest of, of people. So probably more frustration. I couldn't um, couldn't hold the ones I wanted to hold because racehorses are obviously quite strong. Um, but no, not really fear, just uh, more wanting to sort of put the, the cart before the horse, so to speak. But you got to learn pretty quickly after a few falls and things like that. But yeah, it's just, the, just part and parcel. So when you say that a racehorse is, you know, strong and hard to handle... What do you mean by that? You know, what physical attributes does it take to stay on top? Yeah, well, they're very, uh, well, they're athletes um, and, and they're 500 plus kilos versus our 50, 60 plus kilos. So they've already got an advantage against us. Uh, but look, they sometimes have a mind of their own, but I think a physical makeup yourself you know strong shoulders you know a strong body and obviously uh, a lot of cardio to really have that good workout especially every morning at track work I mean it's a lot of work some horses are all different um, and yeah they do take a bit of a bit of work but yeah I think just a general uh, fitness and a good cardio I suppose. Being 14 being a jockey and being female what's your relationship like with your body? Uh, riding wise was always I found the easiest part I used to put a lot of effort in on and off the track weight was always a bit of a battle for me I'm not the smallest of of jockeys um I'm 167 centimeters so uh it, it was always a little bit tough weight wise um and it took a lot of work uh but I found that that bit the most challenging uh it, it, it's very hard to take weight off when there isn't much weight to take off so the riding part was was the easy part but yeah it was just managing that and I think this day and age uh, at, at the apprentice school they managed a lot better for the for the kids coming through which is great because for me I found that the hardest part all around. So give me a little bit of an insight into a race because a couple of weeks ago Sue took us out the back where the race starts and we got to stand there behind the barriers and watch all the horses go in and of course there's a little bit of jostling and I, I feel like your heart just stops in your chest. What's it like for you? Tell me about that feeling of being on one of these 500 kilo horses in such a small confined space. Well, you got to see the best part because look, that's the most important part, the barriers and the and the jump. So yeah, it's a very big adrenaline rush. Uh, that's when we're all sort of focused and trying to keep our horses calm and ready for the next bit of the race where we put them in a good position and hopefully a winning position. But that's that's the part where we're the most skilled and, and the most focused and hopefully everything goes right in there to be able to have a nice clean jump and, and yeah, like I said, try, try to get the best possible position we can. 
Are you ever worried on top of them during the race at any time? Or is just, does that adrenaline kick in and it's just all about the finish line? Adrenaline does kick in and once you're in a race, um, you're just mainly focused on, on the job at hand. I mean, there's nothing better than when a plan actually works out in your head and actually happens in the race. That's that's the best feeling. But there's different stages of the race. There's a beginning, middle and end. And you get to the 600-metre marker of a race and um, all systems go. So everything goes out the window and um, your competitiveness kicks in and, um, yeah, away you go. I do wonder, and I asked Jess this same question in our interview, if you weren't a jockey, what would you be? Well, that's a good question. Probably something in sport. I do love sport. I've always... Um, been a really keen netballer and and did a lot of running and just I just love sport but horse racing's um it's, it is a job of mine but it's a big passion of mine as well but I love being with the horses and um yeah it's a tough one maybe maybe a horse trainer just have a few horses and um yeah I absolutely love it I love I love waking up of a morning and going to the stables and getting them ready for the for the track and stuff like that with with my dad and um it's a, it's a great feeling when you know all your hard work is paid off and they get to the races and run so well. It's very rewarding. So what does a day look like for you, Courtney? Do you get up early? Yeah, I do get up early. I'm uh, I'm usually at the stables at five o'clock. I, I retired from, from race riding probably a couple of years ago, but I still I still absolutely love going to the stables and, and riding track work still. So it's a bit of an addiction, but yeah, they're very early and um it's a lot easier in summertime than wintertime. It's a little bit tougher in wintertime. But, um, yeah, ride some, ride some track work and um, finish up there. And I actually work as a clerk of scale. So I travel all across Victoria and, and work with the jockeys, weighing them out and in on a race day. So pretty uh, long hours and um, thinking all day. Uh, it's, it's good, though. I do enjoy it. I love going to the races, obviously. So I get to live um, the best of both worlds. So it's good. What are you looking forward to the most about Spring Racing Carnival this year? Yeah, this time of year is my favourite. Uh, you get to see the good horses and the good jockeys, even from interstate and overseas, come come to Victoria. So, yeah, I absolutely love this time of year. The, the good weather's on and you just know that uh, the good racing's going to happen. But um, I'm looking forward to most of watching some good racing and, um, yeah, can't wait. So you mentioned that you travel around a bit. Is that Victoria mostly? Mainly Victoria, yeah. I just do all the the northern area and I'm from, from Mildura all the way to Wodonga. So Bendigo's a great spot because it's so central. But, yeah, a lot of travelling's involved. Yep. Yeah. And have you ever been overseas with horse racing? I have, yes. I went to England um, and worked for Andrew Balding for three months, I think, uh, about 10 years ago. So very, very, very good experience and a big eye-opener for me. I was a lot younger at the time, about 23, 24, and... Um, yeah, wow, the things they do there is is so different to what we do here and um, it was a really good experience and I recommend anyone that, that rides track work here, it's so rewarding to go there and learn something different from a really good stable. Yeah, I imagine it'd be great to see, you know, your industry in another country. Did you notice anything different, say England versus Australia and females in the industry? You know, was there more over there? Are they more involved? Definitely a lot more female uh, track riders when I was there and um, fantastic horsewomen and yeah they were very very skilled with their horses and um, a couple of the girls actually came here and rode track work here and, and loved it so it was good they got that opportunity as I did when I went to England so I think times have changed a little bit now and um, things are a little bit more accepting which is really nice to see. 
So working in the racing industry, do you think there are any traits that you've picked up throughout those years? You know, whether it's from, you know, getting up early, riding these incredible animals, uh, to being a female in a really male dominated industry. Like, what do you think you've taken away from it? I think it's taught me from a very young age to be very scheduled and very disciplined. Uh, it's from, from a very young age where you, your mates were sort of, um, doing a lot of other things that you sort of couldn't do for obvious reasons, work commitments and um, things like that. But look, you meet a lot of people and a lot of great people, which you, which I probably wouldn't have met um, in any other walks of life. So I've rubbed shoulders with some pretty awesome people and um, no, I, I love the racing industry and um, yeah, I'd, I'd hate to see myself doing anything else, to be honest. Oh, nice. So coming up to Bendigo Cup, what will you be doing? You know, what are you looking forward to? I'm looking forward to seeing a, a great race once again. I think Bendigo Cup has always attracted a, a great field and, and, and some really good jockeys. And um, I know a lot of the guys and girls love coming here. They they love the Bendigo race course. And anyone that hasn't been there, it's um it's a beautiful track to be at, let alone race horses on. Uh, a lot of good stables bring their first starters here even to, to debut on because it's such a track that gives horses every chance. So, yeah, looking forward to that and looking forward to a great day's racing. Wonderful. Well, I'm sure I'll see you out on the track uh, somewhere (laughs) dressed up. And thank you so much for being a guest and giving us a little insight into what it takes to be a jockey. No worries. Anytime at all. Thank you. Now, before you take off with all that inspiration and knowledge, we'd love for you to leave a review on our podcast so that we can continue to amplify women's voices in the media. And if you have any questions, we'd like to celebrate a win. You can always connect with us on Facebook and Instagram at Oak Magazine AU. I'm so glad we've met and that now you know a friend of mine. <laughs>